Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we have a couple of returning guests. If you remember episode 101 that we did last summer, we sat down with Jonathan LaRiviere and Craig Blackie from Scoot Science, and we talked about their ocean forecasting technology. But we invited Jonathan to come back on the show again and talk about some of the newer initiatives that Scoot Science is doing. So Jonathan joined us with Grant Kavanaugh, and we had a fantastic conversation. It's a little bit complicated, but uh, you know, if you <laughs> bear with us, I'm sure you'll. We have a couple of resources that'll help you understand if it's if it's a little too complicated for you. So before we get into that conversation, please remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts, so you can get every new episode directly downloaded to your device as soon as it's available. Follow us on Twitter at Aquademia Pod. Interested in being a guest, have topic suggestions, which by the way, we just got one, uh, or interested in sponsorship, please visit our online form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And if you're a fan of the show, longtime listener, or maybe this is your first episode, if you like what you're listening to and you want to help us out, we would love it if you leave us a rating or review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. That's right. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation we had with the guys from Scoot Science, and we will talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. All right, so we're sitting down with Grant Cavanaugh and Jonathan LaRivie. La Riviere of Scoot Science. How's it going, guys? It's great. Thanks for having us. Good. Take two. Yeah, thank you. Here we go again. <laughs> if you recognize the name Scoot Science, that's because we actually had them on the podcast last summer to talk about their ocean forecasting technology. And uh, it was a super interesting conversation. And a lot of people downloaded it. You guys got a lot of listens. Yeah, that was a really popular episode. <laughs> it was a super popular episode. Oh, but cool. we really only focused on one aspect of this technology. And that's kind of how specific farm sites can use this technology to their advantage. But what we're going to do today is we're going to expand into a lot of other ways that this technology can be used. And a little more specifically, we're going to focus a little bit on the financial aspect of it. So we know that I have a very crude understanding of how all of this works from last episode. So um, <laughs> I'm going to hand it off to you, Jonathan, to um, first of all, give us a little background on yourself or anyone who maybe missed last episode. And I'm going to have Grant do the same thing. And then uh, let's talk about Scoot Science again. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks. Uh, you know, and and I think some of some of my background, we can flow really easily into actually when um, when Scoot first connected with Grant, um, and so I, I think we have a we have a good narrative Perfect. to cover here. So I, you know, I'm an oceanographer. Uh, I grew up in Rhode Island and you know played on the water and surfed, but um, you know moved out west uh, to Santa Cruz to do a PhD in ocean sciences uh, back in 2006. And when I was in graduate school. Uh, uh, few friends that I shared an office with um, and and myself, we focused on um, trying to find a way to start a business uh, to help. I mean, really, it's to, to help improve the relationship that humans have with the ocean. And uh, we founded Scoot 
Uh, it, originally, we were called Santa Cruz Ocean Observing Team. We founded Scoot initially because we thought we could start a company where we would get to spend a lot of time on the water getting data out of the ocean and making the data useful. And that, for an oceanographer, is really fun. Right. So, um, you know, when I was wrapping up my PhD, uh, Scoot's co-founder, Evan Goodwin, um, uh, was really focused on running autonomous vehicles in the ocean. And I was interested in working with ocean data. And we said, there's a business here because it's challenging to work with ocean data. We know this from the work that we do day in and day out. It's challenging to get data out of the ocean. We know this, again, from the work that we had been doing. A lot of people must struggle with the same problems that, that we've been dealing with and trying to understand ocean variability and trying to understand ocean change. And so we started interviewing across the maritime world, you know, any ocean operator uh, that we could find to understand how they thought about ocean variability, how they were dealing with ocean change. And very quickly, we connected up with uh, the fish farming world. And when we spoke to the first fish farming groups um, in British Columbia, that, you know, that it was really the, the first time that we had spent time with, um, uh, with finfish farmers, we found that they had amazing ocean observing and struggled with the same issues that, that Evan and I dealt with from a research standpoint. And um, we said, well, there's a lot that we can do to help you understand uh, ocean variability and, and ocean change at your sites. And while we were having those conversations, we also, because remember, I was interviewing anyone that did any kind of business on the oceans to understand how they were dealing with ocean change. We connected with uh, oceanographer friends that were in the finance world. So there are a handful of oceanographers that, um, that work at hedge funds for example. And they do things like help um, help commercial uh, finance understand how ocean conditions are affecting business outcomes across a range of industries. And when we connected with those oceanographer friends, we really quickly uh, found uh, uh, Grant Kavanaugh because um, at the time, Grant was, was really, you know, in one of the groups that was considered top for helping businesses manage climate and weather risk. We talked to Grant and Grant said, well, actually, I've even thought about climate and weather risk for fish farmers. And so like, as we're having these conversations with the fish farmers, we also found aquaculture um, had problems and needs in the finance industry. And so I think, so that's my background and a little bit of, you know, kind of founding Scoot. I think it's a good time to have Grant introduce himself and you'll get kind of the full picture of, of um, how Scoot came together. Could I just interject real quick and could you put a timestamp on roughly when all these conversations and interviews and research was taking place just for our listeners? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the timestamp's easy because the, the, <laughs> the idea, okay, we're going to start a business. Uh, yeah. That idea uh, I remember the phone call with Evan and, and one of our co-founders at the time, Ralph Till. Uh, it was in November of 2013. I know it was about okay. one month before my son was born. 
that <laughs> I said to my wife, I think I need to start a business that does ocean day right before our son was <laughs> That's you know, so, Cause you were uh, also researching daycare price. Yeah, probably <laughs> it was the same. Yeah. So we, um, so 2013 is when we, when we just started, you know, um, the, the process of, you know, understanding what it means to make a transition from academic researcher into, um, uh, running private business, and then just started trying to dig in and understand um, the customer needs across really this whole marine operation space. We founded Scoot, you know, so that was, you know, when we started spending every vacation and our weekends and nights working on Scoot. But I became a full-time employee at Scoot in January of 2018. So that's when I was able to leave my day job and um, and Scoot really got up and running. So now, Grant, as the glue that brought everything together, really. <laughs> tell us about yourself and how you got involved. I mean, we just found out how you got involved, but tell you know, give us a little background. Sure, sure. So, um, thank thanks for having me. So, I um, my PhD is in agricultural economics, um, and I've always kind of had a passion for um, you know, uh, folks who are working and living at, at that interface between, you know, the natural environment and, and kind of the human economy. And, um, and so I, I, I uh, did my PhD with a group that kind of specializes in putting together new types of formal risk transfer for all the things that have been ignored by the world of finance or insurance. So things like freezing of livestock in Mongolia, or uh, in my case, you know, my my beat was um, was designing hedges um, to help banks weather uh, nasty El Nino events in in Peru in particular. So my PhD was all about moving ocean risks onto formal markets. And from there, I, I, a lot of folks who, um, you know, have that, that kind of skill set and interest end up in the world of reinsurance. And the world of reinsurance, um, first order approximation reinsurance is hurricane and earthquake risk. So, um, so you know, billions and billions of dollars are put to work as the money standing, be, uh, you know, available in the case of an emergency when it comes to a hurricane hitting Miami or an earthquake, you know, rattling Los Angeles. And um, and you can imagine that if you have those kind of competence at a company, also you'll have all sorts of other people come out of the world work with various and sundry geospatial risks that they'd like managed. Um, so, um, so around to 2014, 2015, uh, we had some folks come into our office who had been literally frozen out of insurance markets. They had had very large losses related to, uh, nasty cold stretches that hit, uh, that hit, um, Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, Maine, and that had, had led their insurers to say, listen, you know, uh, uh, this is not working out between us. Uh, you're going to have to go find something else outside of our traditional insurance arrangements. And that's well, what classic insurance. Funds. How dare is you it... use our resources that you're paying us for? <laughs> well, and, but but so yeah, and just uh, to to be clear, these were salmon farms um, that that came into gotcha. to Grant's office. Yeah. So um, it was a circumstance where I, you know, they're risk was oceanographic in nature and i 
you know, went to marine biology camp in seventh grade. So I love the ocean, <laughs> but I'm not really an expert <laughs> in it per se. Um, so, um, so not too long after John had come into my office, I said, well, you know, the, this feels like a real opportunity. These folks had real budgets. They were really serious about doing something. Um, but I don't have off the kind of off the shelf tools that I'm used to from the world of terrestrial agriculture. So, you know, just as my, my day job at that time was kind of, um, underwriting, uh, India's national agricultural insurance program, which kind of grew up around that same time to be one of the largest in the world. And so, you know, at the time, most of what I did was figuring out how much rainfall had, uh, you know, was impacting a certain district in Maharashtra or something. Um, and, uh, and those types of the types of tools that I had available and the type of knowledge that I could, that I could put to bear on the questions I needed answered were just, it, they're just abundant in a way that, that, um, they aren't when, when it comes time to answer questions about marine, risks. I think that this topic is just kind of zooming out for a second. I think that this topic is super relevant because something that we have talked a lot about in the office in the last year, year and a half is just green financing. I feel like mm -hmm. that comes up in so many conversations. Mm -hmm. And we had a session of our goal conference last year about it. And we're going to be talking about it again this year at our goal conference. And so I'm just really excited to hear more about what Scoot Science is doing in this arena and also your new venture with Seavest. So could you tell us a little bit about what you've been working on since we last talked a year ago and everything that's happened with Seavest? Yeah, well, why don't we take a second, we'll stay zoomed out um, for a minute and, and say, you know, once, once we connected um, you know, connected with Grant and looked at some of the challenges that um, the aquaculture industry faced on the insurance side. We also zoomed out and started looking at the finance side of things, just just like you're describing. And um, and you know, we'll we'll get into the the details in a minute about um, kind of the state of finance for the industry. Um, but I I'd, I'd say at its core, we kept seeing again and again, that um, it was really difficult for farms to describe and identify how their business outcomes were coupled to the ocean conditions. They knew that there was a coupling and knew mm -hmm. that, you know, there was, there's an effect on production, a, you know, um, dramatic effect on production um, that comes out of the really like the background where you're growing fish or shellfish or seaweed, right? So the temperature of the water, the oxygen levels of the water, the um, the nutrient loads, the the plankton loads in the water affect the production on individual sites, and um, it's pretty challenging data to work with. And so you know we. We looked at, you know, all kinds of challenges that were coming up as farms are started dealing with ocean change and more and more extreme ocean events like extreme temperature swings, extreme uh, low oxygen events, uh, plankton blooms. And we were able to say, well, actually, you know, as Scoot digs in on our first product um, with fish farmers, we're finding that they actually have all the data that they need to be able to move forward with some of these land-based um, agricultural tools that Grant was really familiar with and the tools extend into financing. 
So we started with a first product called C-State. And C-State is our SaaS platform that unifies all the data coming off of a farm. So all the ocean observing data with the operations data, the production data on a farm to help the aquaculture operators understand the risk that they're facing um, and also communicate the risk out externally. It's sort of like a big, a big part of the, the um, value proposition in C-State is that we can help the farms manage all their data and start to make the data useful, regardless, like if they're adopting new sensor technologies or if they're working with really old sensors or if they're starting to work with publicly available data, you can get it all into the same place and help the operators understand the risk that they face at individual sites. And then we can give them some forecasting. We can give them some lead time for extreme events. So um, they have enough ocean observing at the individual sites that an oceanographer can work with, you know, records of temperature and salinity and oxygen coming in from a site uh, and drive an ocean model forward just at that individual fish farm or just at that, you know, at that one shellfish farm. Um, and this gives the operators enough lead time to um, carry out mitigation steps and, yep. um, you know, and start to work with some of the other tools that we provide that give them this holistic view of the integrated environmental stress on the fish at any given moment. So we started... And this if, if, if this is what, in our last episode, if anyone yeah. didn't listen to that episode, or if you want a little bit more information on this, uh, go back and listen to episode 101, because that was our main focus for that episode. Sorry and to it, interrupt. Yeah. And that, like, kind of really digging into the details with the farms and helping and working with the farms to identify how the the um, the business is coupled to ocean change, how the production is coupled to ocean change and ocean variability and making sure the farms had steps so that they could run mitigation um, on the individual sites. That became the jumping off point for being able to solve some of these risk and finance problems with CVEST. And so I think so I'll, I'll pause there. I'll cover kind of that's what C-State is. C-State gave us the foundation to um, to start working with um, global modeling. And I think, Grant, why don't you describe CVEST and, and people should be able to, you know, connect the dots between between all the efforts. Perfect. So if C-State is mostly about how you communicate internally, you know, maybe, maybe we're talking about communication from somebody in a remote fjord halfway across the world, but but everybody's within the same company. Then CBEST is more about how you communicate broadly across different industries you might be working with. So that includes things like investors, insurers, debt providers, anybody thinking more broadly about sustainability. Um, that's where CVEST comes in. And those folks to get comfortable with this industry that otherwise looks really complicated and really risky, they need to have an apples to apples comparison of how the risks translate into business outcomes and sustainability all at once. And that picture needs to both be broad in the sense that it covers like all for example, salmon sites in the world, and it needs to be specific in the sense that anybody can drill down and say, actually, I'm faced with the question of whether to, to offer insurance to this particular farm or offer a loan to this particular farm or 
you know, determine whether sustainability goals can reasonably be met at this particular farm. So that's what we built with CVEST. It's uh, at its core, it's a it's a simulation of each individual salmon farm globally. So over 3,500 salmon sites across a whole bunch of countries, and um, it's at, it's looking at all the core dynamics day by day as they play out, whether it's economics in terms of prices of inputs and prices of outputs or biology in terms of um, having having the the best available uh, integrated database of mortality across the world and when you pull that together then you know the engine that's driving it both forward and backward in time the engine that is really you know the basis on which we can say something meaningful that about the risk of these operations that's the ocean itself because the ocean sets the stage for for all sorts of underlying processes so having those dynamics about how the ocean sets the stage for a profitable operation is core to what we do and with the ocean as that underlying driver we're able to give people something like a 20 or 30 year history of the first order approximation of what the individual farm did in terms of its cash flows. And that's what insurers need. That's what uh, banks need to actually, you know, get comfortable with the risks. Yeah. They don't walk away saying, boy, this is an easy industry to be in. But they walk <laughs> away saying, OK, well, it's technically complicated, but much like every industry that walks into my office is technically complicated in some sense. I can sleep easy at night knowing that someone somewhere has a real precise handle on that underlying risk. And at a moment's notice, I can call up uh, a view, not just of how the past would look, but of the you know recent future. I don't think anyone has ever said that this is a simple business. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you'd be surprised. Sometimes when you listen to executives like talk about what they do, in terms of salmon farming, the ocean actually never gets mentioned. It's as though they're, yeah. um, they're it, it drives us nuts when people explain <laughs> to outsiders that like you, you wouldn't even know. It's like um, just the very fact that that on a uh, earnings call for movie or somebody, you don't get any kind of uh, stage setting like the ocean was perfect conditions across this this region. That always mm. that always kind of drives us a little bit crazy. Well, and I think and and not just driving us crazy. I think like when you quantitatively when you look at it, we um, we're able to see um, you know if we so you think of CVS as as running um, a simulation of all the farms around the world. Um, feeling the ocean over the last 20 years, right? So like the production is is linked to real temperatures, real oxygen levels, real ocean conditions. And what you can see is that the typical industry benchmarks have dramatically underestimated expected losses because of ocean variability. You know, we can see that increased ocean volatility since 2020 is driving an increase of like 20 to 25 percent um, uh, in losses at the at the sites, and that's just you know when you when you take a fish farm, think of okay, I have a a pretty good approximation of how a typical fish farm works, and you put that fish farm on you know its actual location on the planet, and then you run the 
the planet's ocean for the last 20 years, you can see, oh my gosh, like year in and year out as we, as we, um, you know, are dealing with more and more dramatic warming in the oceans, more and more ocean change. Um, you can see that the production of individual sites um, reflects that it really reflects climate change and climate variability. And that like, so it doesn't, it, it doesn't just drive us nuts. It's that, you know, quantitatively you can look at this and say like there, there is a way to benchmark the performance of an individual team an individual farm relative to, um, um, all the other teams and farms around the world, um, even in changing ocean conditions. And I, and I think, and I kind of think that like, you know, this becomes the, it really addresses one of the key barriers for um, bringing commercial finance into this space in a way that's going to allow aquaculture to hit the major ambitious goals for feeding the planet, you know, under a growing population for like really unlocking the potential for aquaculture to play um, a major role in, in food security, both on local and global levels. So well, for some producers, I'm sure this is a dream because, you know, a lot of the reasons for what you said about the ocean's impact on farms is why a lot of people want to go over to RAS systems because they have more control over that and they, and uh, there's a lot less risk environmentally, but that's not a step that it can be taken by most people. You know, yeah. there's such a, a it's huge... It's not as attainable. <laughs> it's, yeah, there's, there's so many different investments that you need to make and massive risk and just like switching over to that. And so like some people, they're reliant on the ocean and so they just have to deal with all this stuff. So this is this is just having that insight and that this resource is gonna is just so important. Yeah, I, I guess I would just say, I think, you know, and, and it's not a secret that if you get into... Um, RAS systems, you're trading ocean risk for engineering risk. And a lot of the reason that people go into this, like, oh, let's get away from the ocean risk and get into the engineering risk is because they feel like the ocean risk is unconstrained. And I think what we can see mm -hmm. is the ocean observing is so good already in the industry. All of the ingredients are here to get a good understanding on the frequency and the severity of the ocean risks at these farms and then work through with individual farms the mitigation steps that they take to deal with that ocean risk. So I, that's it's a little bit of like, you know, how we look at like a transition to land-based farming as a little bit of a, oh, let's get away from this unconstrained ocean risk. But it's it's not it's not necessary that they're should be this big flight away from the ocean risk based on the data that we see collected by individual farms. So I think that this would be especially useful for smaller scale farmers who don't necessarily have tons and tons of equipment, like monitoring every single little thing that they do and bringing it back to things that we've that have come topics that have come up in the office a lot lately is supporting smaller scale farmers in their work because they're really the future of aquaculture because so many of the larger farming corporations have grown so much that it's almost to a point where they can't grow anymore. So it's like we, we need to be supporting these smaller scale producers in their work. And I think that Seavest and Scoot Science as a whole would be really beneficial for them. Yeah. So, so one way of thinking about any small scale operation is the way that kind of a investor would think about it is that's someone who has all their eggs in one basket. They get no benefits from 
from diversification, right? So having a handle on the underlying risk is really important for them. And usually using formal risk management, whether that's in the form of debt financing or insurance is more important than it would be for the big guys. But the irony, mm -hmm. of course, is that those, those folks who are in most need of protection against downside scenarios are probably the ones for whom it's hardest to find. Like it, it's, exactly. it's helpful to, to take a step back and like ask, uh, you know, what is financing like for these operations? And, and, and I'm including insurance in financing today. Um, so a lot of what you'd see, if you go visit our website, you can, you can download the paper that we've written on CVEST. It's available with an arbitrary level of detail. If you want to just the highlights <laughs> from the underlying model, you can definitely get in there. Um, if you want to know a lot more detail than you ever asked for about how it works, then that's available too. Um, and you know, one of one of the takeaways uh, when you take a, when you look at the economics of how you know this whole industry is operated is there's a persistent weirdness throughout all financing of this industry compared to to <laughs> others right um it's weird to only have maybe three or four primary insurance underwriters for a large profitable operation it's weird to only have three or four banks that will lend that will lead a loan for a large profitable industry um it's weird to have an industry where a large portion of all these highly profitable large-scale businesses are still family-owned um all of that suggests that aquaculture is sitting apart from the normal financing operations uh, of of the larger world. And, and we feel like um, there may be good reasons for that, but one reason that's not good for that to persist is just a lack of understanding of the underlying risks that are driving these operations. So Grant, we've been talking a lot about insurance and how that's that's involved in this. But a lot of the stuff that I've been reading, I was I was telling the guys here that I was looking at an article on techstartups.com all about this. It, it's actually a very good article. I'll link to it in the show notes. But um, they talk a lot about investors and how this is beneficial to investors. Can you kind of touch on that a little bit too? Because I know that that's kind of another side. That's another topic that we haven't really talked about too much. We've done a couple episodes where we look at some options for investors in the, into the industry but this is a you know provides a whole new transparency into a lot of different things for potential investors so if you could talk about that a little bit that'd be great yeah yeah absolutely and um if you'll permit me i mean i i'm i'm kind of an economist by training so i like thinking in those terms rather than in um uh ocean specific terms so i'll start actually by talking about the economics of the insurance industry itself and and that actually matches really well with with aquaculture so if you go back to 1992 when hurricane andrew hit kind of the miami area it caused a lot of big losses at insurance companies and um and just just for you know, the listener's sake, reinsurance companies are those big ones that you generally see sponsoring like soccer teams. So Munich Re or Swiss Re. And their job is to stand in for those large, big events that might hit an entire city. Okay, that's their specialty. And in 1992, those folks lost a lot of money. And the ones who didn't lose quite so much money, like uh, Warren Buffett, one of the most you know, uh, wealthiest people in the world is in that business. And he was bragging about how much money he was making in the world of reinsurance. And reinsurance was 
exactly like aquaculture, this considered very risky industry where you're basically your only option for investing in it was to give money over to large private uh, publicly traded companies that were listed on a stock market and so you effectively by buying the stock of swiss re or munich re you hand over some money and those companies you know if you've ever been to swiss re's office they have a dedicated barista in the um uh you know rotunda of their office so like you're paying for that barista wow. as well as everything else that you expect that they're that they're doing so so a lot of people looked around at that time and said gosh we want to be able to put our money to work in these opportunities which look profitable uh we know that they're highly risky but there's this new suite of models that's for the first time available from a couple different software companies that are going to democratize understanding of hurricanes and earthquakes. And on the basis of that, like we can go more directly into putting our, our assets to work. And that's what happened over the subsequent 20 years or so. Today, a lot of the risk associated with hurricanes and earthquakes is borne directly by pension funds who make money putting their assets to work, standing behind these big risks. Well, the same sort of transformation could happen in the world of aquaculture. And that's mm -hmm. part of what we're trying to nurture with the CVEST model, which is you start with a big, uh, hard to understand, technically complicated risk. You democratize understanding of that risk with software, and then you've opened up a lot of new avenues for uh, for groups to put their money to work in this underlying highly profitable industry. And I and I think I'll just you know kind of revisit that question of well how you know how could this affect you know the growth of smaller scale farms uh, around the world? It's kind of like you know when when you have all these tools in place um, to enable, we'll say kind of commercial finance. And then also on the investor side, I, I think, you know, we are really focused on impact investors, you know, groups that are focused on investments that address, um, you know, sustainable development goals. Um, you, you can start with these tools, um, to, to set up a pitch for a small scale farm where a small scale farm is able to say, well, you know, I I need financing either, you know, through lending or equity investment. Um, I need to to actually get the capital together to run my operation or start an operation or expand. And what I can do when I go into a bank or if I go and, you know, I'm talking to an impact investor about what I want to do with aquaculture, I can, for the first time with these tools, I can say, well, the farm that I'm starting is sitting in a part of the ocean that has a risk that we can manage well through the insurance markets because there's a really clear understanding of frequency and severity of these extreme ocean events that could potentially wipe the farm out. So we have some mechanism for capping the downside risk of my farm. And through you know products like, like C-State, we have some mechanism for actually showing you the performance of my farm. And when we talk about performance, it's like, you know, the day-to-day -day operational performance, but also one of the things, you know, one of the things that um, is, is directly um, visible when you start working with all the data together is you can really get a good handle on the carbon footprint, the sustainability of each individual farm. And so you get a small scale farm saying, I actually have the tools in place where I can show you how the asset's performing. 
I can get insurance coverage to cap our downside risk. Um, and it's, you know, I would, it's a it's a profitable industry. It's a good investment from a business standpoint. And and that like doesn't happen today because the tools aren't in place to actually say, oh, here's transparency into how the farm is operating. Here's transparency into how sustainable the farm is. And also we're working with the groups that can help us deal with extreme ocean events that are happening more frequently because the ocean's warming around the planet. So it's just a it's it's a totally different um uh, playing field for for small scale farms to be able to work with banks and investors, right? And have you seen that happen? Do you have some success stories of some farmers that have have used this for that? Well, it's so new that we can't. Yeah. <laughs> we can't. No, I mean this is. I figured. But. Yeah, I. You know what? What we're finding right now is that with the work that we put out with Cvest, the work that we've, um, you know, uh, done with C State, um, the the response that that we're seeing right now is we never thought this was possible before and just we're spending a lot of time with groups um just in in this like education stage and and when i talk about the education stage there's there are groups around the world you know new data companies or esg investors there's there's no shortage of panels you know at conferences where there's you know four or five folks up on a stage saying like aquaculture is an ESG impact investment and it's going to save the world and data is going to unlock that. That's been like kind of the general state of conversation so far. And, and that's I where it that, ends too, right? Yeah. And that's <laughs> kind of where it ends. And they say, and yeah, and, and come and visit me at my next panel. I'll be on the conference <laughs> circuit for the next yeah, two right. months and you can see me and, you know, in the, the next uh, stop on my road show, I, what we found is that actually producing and showing um, showing people that the the data, the ocean observing data that's already happening in the industry is is very high resolution. It has a global footprint um, and it checks the main boxes for understanding the impacts of ocean change and ocean variabilities. Like showing people that and showing that you can do good forecasting that's not black box forecasting. It's like it's physics-based forecasting for the ocean, um, most of the folks that we sit down with are saying, we we actually, we didn't know this was possible yet. And then showing CVEST and how, you know, how, again, zooming out and looking at just this ocean, the way Grant put it, it was like sort of the ocean is the underlying engine behind the industry and being able to get down to the individual asset level and describe, hey, like, here's the performance of the industry for the past 20 years. And it is strongly linked to the ocean conditions of the past 20 years. Again, we're getting the same reaction of we didn't know this was possible. And so right. we're in the really like early, early stages of educating people and, and trying to connect through, connect all the dots um, with with farms, with impact investors, and with insurance companies. And I'll just say it's more than just sort of, we've progressed further than just uh, blowing people's minds to, to the point where I mean, <laughs> <laughs> in, insur insurers and reinsurers know what to do with a risk model like this. And so that's, you know, hopefully in, in the not too distant future, we'll have something to announce along those lines. So in certain aspects, it's not reinventing the wheel. 
it's creating a more useful wheel for this industry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, that's at its core. I mean, although everything looks new and special and shiny in an ocean context, we are just trying to offer people things that have been around for in some cases, literally centuries in the world of terrestrial agriculture. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. So we're starting to get a little low on time. And I think the last five minutes of our conversation, it, it may already have spoke to what I'm going to ask you next. But a year ago, back in June, when we had our first episode with Scoot Science, we asked, what is next? And I think you kind of hinted on a few things, which you're talking about today. So I'm going to ask you again, what's on the horizon? What do you see the future with Scoot Science? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we so we have these two main parts of the business for managing ocean risk and ocean change. So mm -hmm. C-State State is out um, with customers now. And I think really exciting, we were able to see that in the first year of, of using C-State um, with our earliest customers, we saw... Um, in excess of a 30% a reduction in their the daily mortality um, wow. at, at their sites. It's really, I mean, it's, and, it, and again, this is like, you know, really coming from the standpoint of the industry has good ocean observing to work with. And so it's mm -hmm. just for the first mm -hmm. time equipping people with, um, you know, how that translates through to understanding the ocean. So we'll keep, you know, we're going to, we're going to continue getting sea state out, um, around the world um so we have you know customers in canada our first customers in norway and um and we'll be working to get sea state um up and running and in australia and tasmania and chile uh, over the next year uh, and then like grant was saying you know on the on the um risk and finance side um, insurers and reinsurers know what to do with uh, with the the modeling that we have, and um, so we um, we're doing all the work um, to uh, be able to you know I think in the in the short term um, be able to to um, have offerings in the the risk and finance space with um, some really reputable um, long standing players in the insurance and finance industry. And we, and we should it's say it's, it's worth um, talking about. I mean, John's already talked about our, our forecast engine. C-State offers a 72-hour forecast of critical ocean variables, temperature, oxygen, salinity, for example, and that's physics-based. So it's like really good. You can ask people why this, is, this forecast is going the way it is. Um, that same engine we've actually already used in an insurance context. So it's pretty familiar to the people, the world of ter terrestrial weather. People are used to taking the same physics-based models and actually running them back in time to create a historic record that you can use for insurance. So if you have one of those risks, we should just plug, you know, if you're, if you're an aquaculturalist and you have a bunch of good ocean data sitting around and you're worried about what can be done for insurance, which sets the stage for what can be done for lending and so on, just give us a ring. We'd love to talk through um, you know, the, the problems that you have. And there's a lot that we can do today with off-the-shelf tools in terms of providing a new type of insurance that's driven by your ocean conditions. And I, yeah, and I think going into the, you know, and for a lot of the, you know, the northern hemisphere, um, the operators like going into 
the season of low oxygen and marine heat waves and um, uh, and plankton blooms. This becomes one of the times where uh, you know a lot of operators are saying, "Oh my gosh, like are we going to make it through?" And I think um, that's uh, that's a fine time to give us a call and we can start um, we can start working with you um, to to um, get some of these um, tools in place with you so that next summer, you know, the next challenging season, you feel a little bit, um, um, a little bit more stable. And in that spirit, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you guys? Yeah. Well, um, so picking up the phone, uh, no, so, so you can, you can actually email <laughs> any one of us, um, at Scoot, um, directly, um, you know, through our website, we have, um, info at scootscience.com. Um, but but it's pretty easy to get to get a hold of you know get a hold of Grant if it's questions about the risk and finance side get a hold of me um, when you are um, focused on the operational risks you know the the site specific forecasting and we'll make it easy for the listeners we will link to that in our show notes mm-hmm. that's right great all right and well please please do read that paper by the way that's on that's right there on our website in the risk and yeah finance we'll link to section. that as well. Yeah. We'll make sure that we link to that as yeah. well. So we're just about out of time, but Maddie, Justin, do you guys have anything else? Just if y- if either of you have anything else that you want to get out there while you have the microphone, now's your time. <laughs> I didn't plan for a an for open a, mic uh, for a final wrap up. <laughs> do you have I, a joke? I, well, I'll put it. I, no, you know what? I I can say just kind of in closing. Um, you've got the you've got the tools. You have like the raw ingredients to um, save the the fish on your sites and um and have a lower carbon footprint and and make the operation um you know really best suited for for managing um um ocean change and we would love to to work with you to kind of turn those ingredients into the tools that your teams can use um to really up their performance level that you have at every site. Beautiful. Well, John, Grant, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And I'm sure we'll be in touch and talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks. Folks, that was our conversation with Jonathan and Grant from Scoot Science. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. I hope you learned something. We talked about it after we finished recording um, that this is a pretty complicated topic and we may have hit on some things that people in the industry may not be as familiar with. And so Jonathan supplied us with a video that's been made that is kind of an explainer video that takes a lot of the information from the white paper, which we have linked in the show notes and kind of lays it out in a way that's easier to understand. So that video is also linked in the show notes. If you want a little bit of additional information, uh, if you were a little bit confused by some of the topics that we hit on today. So make sure you check that out before we go. I want to remind everyone, as I always do to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen. So you can get every new episode automatically downloaded to your device as soon as it's available. Follow us on Twitter at Aquademia pod interested in sponsorship, being a guest, or have a topic suggestion, fill out our online form, which is located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And I just want to, before Maddie does her her bit, I just want to thank 
everyone that does contact us and leaves reviews and, li- and sends us emails. We got a really, really nice email message last week from a listener, and he just had some really nice things to say, and we really appreciate it. made our it. day. Yeah, it really made my, it made my whole week. So um, I, I really encourage you, if you enjoy the show and you like what we're doing, please just reach out to us. We, we'd love to hear from you. And lastly, leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. That's right. With that, we will talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye. Bye.